Welcome to episode 37 of Zoe Plus. This is going to be Zoe plus my sister Megan Marcus, and we're going to be discussing season three of The Crown. All of it. It's been about two years since the last season of The Crown dropped on Netflix, and I think I've been eagerly anticipating the latest installment of the series for about that long. The new season continues to tell the story of Queen Elizabeth and her time on the throne, but this time there's a twist. The show has been completely recast with new actors, older actors, to take us through the years 1964 to 1977. Olivia Colman is the queen, with Tobias Menzies playing Prince Philip, Helena Bonham Carter's Princess Margaret, and a whole host of other talented actors joining the group. Megan and I are both big fans of the show, royal history, and random British actors, so be prepared, we get more than a little bit nerdy in this conversation. So here we go. Hello, you. I was thinking about that too, actually. Very in the spirit of sisterhood. Exactly. So I am here with my sister, Megan Marcus, and we're going to be discussing season three of The Crown. Um, I believe this is your first time back on the podcast since discussing season two of The Crown. So so. does that mean it's been a year? I think it's probably been more, but... Oh, yeah, I don't know. right. This took a long time for the show to yeah. come back. And am I the only one who does like a full season as opposed to an individual episode? I believe there was a full season of Catastrophe that was discussed, but that's a sort of an easier undertaking, I would say, since it's six episodes and they're shorter. Um, but uh, yes, but you're still special. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so we have not discussed, uh, we've kept our opinions separate from each other having uh, while we've been watching this season. So what did you think of season three of The Crown? I liked it. I mean, it was, it felt like a little bit more of a slog than previous seasons. I really enjoyed it. I think I had to do a lot more looking up than for previous Looking up, like seeing like the news events and things. Yeah. Yeah. There was stuff that I didn't know as much about. I I don't think it was my favorite of the three seasons, but I was, I was ready for this to come. I was excited about it and it, it certainly... It, it wasn't tough. I would say the second watch, I was like, okay, enough. Right. Which not everyone has to do. I think we just yeah. wanted to be informed. Um, yeah, I so I enjoyed it. Right, I didn't love it as much as I loved the first two seasons. I think because this was like a little slower, a little darker, a little more melancholy. That you know, not not that the other season was all like smiles and joy. All the I think time, there was but... more going on in the Queen's life i mean i think the first time around you mean yeah the first two seasons we're seeing stuff happen to her and this is much more reactive it's reacting to people and events as opposed to things actually happening she's had her children she's she's settled in her life she's settled in her role her marriage is settled to a certain extent so there's not right i guess it's less eventful for her I mean, I still think that they found interesting topics to discuss and moments to bring up. And the the thing that I always like about the show is finding, like you said, you know, having to look up stuff. You you know, I I like how the show surprises me and interests me. And like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a spy in Buckingham Palace. I didn't know, you know, there's, you know, I didn't know about Aberfan. Like just there's certain things that. I didn't know about that coup. Right. And I think that that's what I like about the show. And that continued that sort of interesting. It's not it's not all the obvious historical things that everybody knows. So I think that they continued that it was just 
sometimes a little meh, like sad. I don't know. Just I wanted I wanted like more sort of occasionally. I like a little fun sometimes. A lot of close ups and facial reactions. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that said, like I'm glad it came back. I'm I was entertained. You know, I there was a lot going on that I enjoyed. I'm just not sure. I think, you know, the anticipation was so high that right. it was like whenever that happens, I feel like it's it's such a challenge to meet that. So it's, you know, very rarely is it going to exactly live up to what you're hoping. But, you know, will I keep watching and, you know, the subsequent seasons and eagerly anticipate the next one? Sure. Did you think I was waiting for the there to be kind of more fun 60s stuff in it for to feel a little bit more colorful right and there alive. is no there's no Beatles there's no Carnaby Street right. there's no right yeah and I think maybe that's what I was anticipating and it was like you said kind of drearier yeah it was gray yeah. let's discuss though some of our favorite episodes favorite scenes favorite moments did, right. did you have a favorite episode I would say Margaretology that's okay. why I mean that that was fun and that's what I was talking yeah. about what I was kind of missing um i enjoyed i i really like the episodes that deal with the sibling relationship i mean mm-hmm. the sisters and i like the call back to the young girls we got a little tommy lassels and made me very happy <laughs> it was a little cruel um but but that's what i like and you know you do u.s history and i love how the crown always goes over the top of the american presidents the characters are insane <laughs> and maybe that's what you know i, I wonder if everything i just think about how brits perceive us versus how we perceive them and maybe that's the weirdness that we feel about the lbj or kennedy representations is how they feel when we you know that was definitely over the top although it bothered me less than the jfk (laughs) portrayal last season was one of the like the low points yeah um for me even though i said i wanted all the joy and the happiness i like the two whales episodes like i liked aberfan and I liked the, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the one, which means, I guess, Prince yeah, of Wales in Welsh, where he, where Charles goes to Wales and learns the language. There are just moments of that, of both of those that were either powerful or entertaining. I mean, they're very different ends of the spectrum in terms of what I got from them. But I did, I did enjoy both those episodes. Yeah. I, I enjoyed them too. But just if you're asking for my favorite, yeah. I would go with the, the yeah. Margaret one. Um, and in terms of, because um, I think like, those episodes are not perfect. There's a lot of little moments throughout the entire season that that sort of I, I enjoyed more than a, an episode uh, as a whole. So some I sort of listed some of the things that I liked. That so in that in the Prince of Wales, the one where he goes right. the, where he to Wales, this was just the smallest moment, but it just made me so happy when he says the word atmosphere in Welsh, oh, yeah. and the teacher has that reaction of just that almost like looking to the sky, like he did it because it was throughout the episode right. they're hitting like it's this is gonna be a really difficult word to say atmosphere in Welsh. And then it's just like when he hits it and just seeing the guy react, I just really like that little moment. Um, we'll talk more about Harold Wilson, but I enjoyed that relationship. I love, I love that character and yeah. I didn't have any expectations when it came to that. So. Right. And and so in the final episode of the season, when he they have their final sitting together, and when he, he has the line about shock. The Prime Minister, I am sorry. This will come as a terrible shock. Well, maybe. No shock lasts longer than 48 hours. There's too much appetite for the next shock. And also just, the, I thought the most touching thing when, when the Queen asked him to ask her to dinner, 
and he I just see. is so taken aback. But that's an honor that only Churchill's <laughs> right, had. Right. And she's, you know, the Duke of Edinburgh and I would be honored. So would Mrs. Wilson and I. And I, I really like that. Well, I think the season as a whole, I, I, I think the thing about Wilson and I think this is a theme that you see throughout its appearance versus reality, um, defying expectations. And, you know, when you look at the prime minister, Wilson is Harold Wilson is this labor prime minister and he basically reveals to her I think it was in the Margaretology no no I'm sorry it was in the Aberfan about crying and and revealed you know his true background and that he he didn't come from the lowest of circumstances yeah. and he likes to smoke a cigar which is Not, considered very upper crust right. and he was like he had a pipe that we was always seeing and Edward Heath, the conservative prime minister who comes after, he's the, you know, the opposite. He's, he's a, a common man, but he comes across as... Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and the whole season really starts that way, yeah. right? Because she, she start, it starts off with this, um, well, it starts off with our own expectations with regards to this new cast. And then her expectations about Wilson and her assumption that he's this KGB yeah, spy. spy, and then this person who she trusts <laughs> turns out to be that that spy. Um, so some of my other favorite moments. <laughs> I have a little list here. So um, we'll talk more about Elizabeth and Philip and their dynamic, but the little scene at the end of the coup episode um, where they have the little bit of a romantic moment, I found the kiss very awkward for whatever. It was a weird kiss. However, when he, she says, like, I'll be up in a minute, he's and like, he oh, he's he's like, oh will you? And he's got this smile. It was just like a very... Happy, like there's a line from Vulture that I like that, um, you know, it was even more fun watching Phil walk off with that silly grin after Liz announced she'd be up in a minute and Liz schoolgirlishly holding her face in her hands in anticipation of the evening's bedroom activities. She may not have the life she wanted, but this moment, it's pretty damn good. I thought that that was nice. And then um, <laughs> the Princess Alice, the moment when Mountbatten visits her in bed and he's complaining about, oh, the yeah. country's going to ruin. She goes... Who cares? I, know. I loved her. I loved her smoking. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I loved her cigarettes. I my moments I really like because I'm such a British history buff, or more like royal royal history buff. And I loved this is at the end of the Margaretology episode, and you know Margaret comes back and she wants more responsibilities after her triumph in the she US. She has this yeah. triumph on at the White House. She's basically she does the opposite of whatever the queen would have done. And, and that's very appealing to LBJ. And I think basically her success is a little overblown, I think, in terms of what happened in real life. But she wants more more duties. And Philip tells Queen Elizabeth, you know, there's two strains kind of running throughout this family, and it would be dangerous to give her more. Alongside that dull, dutiful, reliable, heroic strain, runs another. The dazzling, the brilliant, the individualistic, and the dangerous. And so, for every Victoria, you get an Edward VII. For every George V, you get a Prince Eddie. For every George VI, you get an Edward VIII. For every Lilibet, you get a Margaret. You see it almost now with, with William and Harry, I'd say, too. Maybe not to that extent, like Harry kind of keeps it reined in, but like it's sort of like it continues down the line of the... But that's all, know. but I think that's a lot of sibling relationships. Right. And I mean, not to do a plug here, but I just did this episode from Obituaries on Billy Carter, and it's Billy Carter is Jimmy Carter's younger brother, or was. 
And it was the same kind of deal. And, and Billy was kind of an asset at the beginning before things went completely insane for him. And he became this very public alcoholic and had all these crazy dealings with Libya. But I think there's something so, very similar. And I think there was a resentment on the part of Billy that he felt he didn't get what he deserved, you know, mm-hmm. out of out of life. And I feel like Margaret's the same way. But when we look at that, do you think Margaret, she, I don't, she wouldn't have made a great queen. I mean... Or do you think if she knew she was going to be queen as a young girl, her behavior would have been modified? I think that, you know, she was who she was and was probably, I mean, that's the, I mean, there have to be these people, these people, because they say the crown always finds the right head is a line that right. I think the Duke of Windsor says later. But that doesn't mean that, like, everyone has to be dull. Like, there's got to be some fun people during. But I don't think that she would have sort of kept herself as in line as, like, Elizabeth does, did, you know. Um one one last moment just going on with Elizabeth and Margaret though I did like that final conversation that they have in the um in the last episode when Elizabeth visits Margaret after this possible suicide mm-hmm. attempt or overdose and then you know and they're talking about like you know what prime minister is going to be this is this going to be for you oh this will be my seventh seven. and just sort of like you know the rest of us drop like flies but she goes on yeah, and yeah. on and then this idea of like then we must carry on right. and you know I thought that that was very moving and sweet so let's talk about, though, the what we thought of the main characters this time around. Yeah. What's, what's unusual about this um, show? And I can't... It's, hard, it's difficult for, for me to remember a show ever doing this where you recast in this way, where you're really just like clean house. You know, I think about how, like, on soap operas, they'll recast someone. All of a right. sudden, this person yesterday was this person. Today, this person looks like this person. Or in, like, a movie, I think we're accustomed to seeing aging, whether it's aging the actual actor or you know, having a different actor play someone young or old. But I can't think of a show where you do this, where you just say, okay, and now we're, you know, ex- well, we're not even that far in the future because this is picking up within the same year that right. we left off. But just saying like, okay, entirely, you know, new cast, same characters, just different people. So Olivia Coleman is playing Queen Elizabeth replacing Claire Foy. I liked her. I mean, I think it's just a, it's a more muted performance. But I thought she had much more humor than Claire Foy. Yeah. In certain moments, she was mo- she was much more playful. I mean, she had this pouty look sometimes in these close-ups. Yeah. And again, on second watch, everything was getting to me a little bit more. But I might prefer her to Foy. Oh, really? I th- yeah. I think I still prefer Foy. But just I, but I think that's probably also just like what you started with. What right. you, you know... Like, I, I think that they were both wonderful, but I think if I'm, like, preferring, it's probably Claire Foy. But I think that... I thought there was more range in Coleman. Yeah. I don't, okay. I don't know. I just think about, like... Yeah, I liked her. I think it was just something about the character that I preferred seeing Foy play it. But I think, like, you know, but she offered a lot of... There was, you know, a human quality. And I think a lot of that you're talking about these close-ups and things, seeing these facial expressions and things like that, that I certainly... Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the performance. I think I just probably prefer... I know we're going to talk about more, but something that bothered me, none of these characters aged because it went from 64 to 77. Did you see any real aging? Harold Wilson aged. Harold Wilson, <laughs> but Margaret didn't, Philip didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was okay. It didn't bother me that much. <laughs> okay. Um, well, speaking of Philip, what did you think of to- Tobias Menzies? I miss Matt Smith. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was fine. I just wasn't particularly invested in the I don't, And they didn't give him that much to play with. I mean, maybe just because the... I mean, I know he had the whole moon episode, which, which I was, was like, like really? I thought was, a, was yeah. weak. Um, but I think, like, I guess at this point, the idea was that, you know, Philip is done being sort of, like, fiery and just, like, you know, 
well, they're still cantankerous, I guess, but as dramatic or something, it's just kind of like, this is, once again, everyone is more settled. It's like, this is my life. I'm just going to go about my business. So, and like, yeah, he's a little cranky and has some issues, but it was kind of, you know, and he has this little clipped accent. It was fine. Um, I will say that I got some Captain Von Trapp vibes from him, which I didn't hate. Maybe it's the suit. I don't know. You're looking mm-hmm. at me skeptically. No, I don't see it at all. Sorry. Um, and I like that also New York Magazine had mentioned that, um, that in an interview with him, Menzies, in, Menzies makes the character's sternness gruffly appealing, the charisma of a modern, funny Mr. Rochester, which I also enjoyed that comparison. He said, Maybe oh. I was watching a different performance. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, I, I think, once again, I think there was sometimes like the sweetness that, uh, you know, we talked about that smile when he walked out. seems to get a kick out of Anne. Did yeah. you see that when she's um, speaking about the relationship between um, Camilla and Andrew, Parker Bowles and Charles and herself? And she makes some comment when she's kind of, she's brought before the family yeah. to kind Maybe of. Maybe it was like the sorry mummy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he has a few. And, um, well, and like he and Anne had that great exchange. Um, when she first arrives on the scene. Is it really necessary for you to speak your mind quite so mercilessly at, at every opportunity? Well, where do you think I get that from? Um, yeah, I missed Matt Smith there. But it was, you know, adequate. It's fine. <laughs> well, I also saw, there were a bunch of articles before the season came out that was like, you know, Tobias Menzies is finally going to be a star. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure that he's making as much of a splash as Matt Smith did in this, so... Um, we shall see. <laughs> um, Helena Bonham Carter is Margaret. I, all right, I'm mixed on this because I think in quiet moments, I prefer Kirby, Vanessa, Kirby. Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby? Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. But in the theatrical moments, Helena Bonham Carter's, you know, pretty damn great. I mean, in terms of the musical performances, I don't know. We never saw Vanessa Kirby do things like that. We saw a musical performance in the first season. I believe there was a bewitched, bothered, and bewildered in the first season. What was she doing? <laughs> she was singing with her father. It was like Christmas oh, time. Oh, yeah. right. But this is before yeah. like a big... Yeah, perform- that was just the yeah. two of them, yeah. I think. But she was she went all out. And so so I liked that part. So I was, I was a little mixed. I mean, I guess if you make me choose, I'll go with Helena Bonham Carter. I think I feel I'm just becoming a like first season. Um, but no, I mean, I liked her. I also just felt like we didn't get enough time with with her we had you know yes we had margaretology i guess we had two episodes so that should be enough but i don't know that i really got like because in the middle of the whole middle of the season she was barely a part of that so we weren't seeing i and i thought it was strange to end on an episode a margaret centric episode i thought that was like a perfect penultimate episode i i don't know if would you, you have ended what with like charles stuff or would or yeah just, i actually okay. would and the, i was thinking about that on the way over here it's much more kind of passing the torch or the next generation and the margaret thing felt odd because i liked ending well i mean i liked the ending ending with the silver jubilee like i thought that yeah. that i mean which i guess you could have gotten to a number of right, ways because absolutely. also even when in one of the final shots when like she is in when the queen is in the carriage and she looks and sees Charles behind her sort of like hunching over and looking a little bit gloomy, but that you could have gotten, you know, if you'd been talking about Charles that episode, you could have, you know, but that you could have gotten that same, you know, it would have all made sense, I guess is what I'm saying. But this is still that, that little eye contact moment is a kind of like, now we're on, we're getting, this is what the next chapter is going to be. But I think just also the nature of their relationship that, I don't know if Charles said this or somebody else in real life, but it's just a bizarre thing that you're you're waiting for your 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 parent. Your life doesn't begin until you're right. Exactly, and he sort of says that in that weird jokey moment with Camilla that like you think he's being serious, the Saul Bellow stuff. Yeah, yeah. but I think 
it's strange because she I find her very cold and the most unappealing when she's dealing with him, but she seems to be much more sensitive when talking about him to the other family members, but she's incapable of being warm and loving to well, him. Well, I thought she was mostly like that. She was mostly, I thought, stayed the same in terms of how she treated him. But then that one episode, the whales episode, when he comes back at the end and they have that little confrontation. Mommy, I have a voice. Let me let you into a secret. No one wants to hear it. Are you talking about the country? My own family? No one. Well, that was this bitchy side of her that I don't think... We were seeing her through his eyes, and that was, like, the only time that you saw her have that demeanor, being that cold. He was alluding to her being cold, but we were never seeing her act like that with anyone else. It was just like almost like a different person. Well, do you then think it's his perception that we're seeing as opposed to the reality? Because and then the rest of the time, because we're mostly seeing it through her eyes, she gets to be sort of nicer, more sympathetic. Because even when it's the episode, um, what is it, like in Brolio or something, where, you know, she's not the one breaking them up. It's it's Dickie and it's the but queen. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Behind the scenes, yeah. she seems to actually be his right. she wants, she wants them to. She wants him to find love. She wants him to be happy. Yeah. But she has, she's incredibly yeah. cold when dealing with him yeah. in and, person. And he says that to Anne a few times, too, about, like, why does, you know, why does she treat me like this? You don't get treated this way. So, But that was only, like, the one instance where we saw her actually be that mean, that you know what I mean? Like I feel like she, I don't know. I, I mean that was like that was a really expensive. cold you right. know moment. But um, so back to our characters though. So Tony, I like this one. Okay, I mean I like. This All too. right, sorry. No, no. What? There's nothing to apologize. It doesn't matter. Um, I know, but I thought he was good. I thought, and I like that. I I also once again I wanted to see more from him about him. I thought that he was interesting. I like that he went to Aberfan and and there's something I like the sort of like craggy quality. I'm like But I I'm... think he's more empathetic. Yeah. And and I was struck by how his empathy affected Margaret. This is in the Aberfan yeah. where she's breaking down. You right, see her yeah. from behind as she's retelling the Queen. And I, I can we just talk about how these characters were introduced though? Because I was really struck. I I know this is part of the cinematography and stuff, but the way that they approached it was this idea, I think, for, for almost all the main characters and even some secondary ones, that you never saw them, you know, straight head on. You know, that you always saw them either in a wide shot or from behind before they were revealed. And it was kind of allows you to adjust for a second and get your bearings, then be like, oh, yes, that has to be this person or that. I don't remember. How do we see, how do we see Margaret the first time? She Her face is down in bed, so you don't actually see her face. She's... Oh, right. It's like a phone Her call face is or basically the in the pillow. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. And so you don't see her. And that goes for um, Tony. And, and then it even goes for, for the characters that we don't need that kind of introduction for. I think Anne is seen from behind. Charles, you see him. Um, he's getting ready for a play. And it's just, yeah. just for a split second. But um, I, I just thought it was was an interesting technique. Yeah, I liked, I liked the um, you know, the beginning where we see the queen. I mean, because it's just like an iconic. Right. I think she has the crown on, and obviously they do all the stuff with the stamp to show like the changing, right. you know, because that it's was a the, heavy. that was the initial yeah. changing of the guard, as it were. Um, the thing with Tony also that I liked was that you really see how he's become part of this family. 
you know, even though like he's he, probably the most likable, he's late showing up to the party, but it's like, oh, Tony's here. Like right. it's an exciting, you know, and then the thing where he's like designed the, um, he's designed the Jubilee memorabilia, which the queen, you know, has no right. problem with, but it's like, I, you know, it's better from someone inside the family. He seems to genuinely care for the queen, which is nice. Well, you also see how the family reacts. Is it that Margaret is having a birthday party? It's the last I think it's the last episode, yeah. Right, and she's complaining about her marriage, and everyone's talking about how wonderful Tony is. Yeah, like, I loved his movie. Oh, he's great to his mother-in-law. He does all this stuff. And they're like, shut up! (laughs) And she just leaves the room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I mean, I did did like him. Um, You know, and I'm sad that I think this is the last we'll see of him, most likely. I don't know. Right. I mean, also, didn't you think that his wife-to-be had like sort of a Megan Draper-like quality? I was thinking that exact it might be, it might be same the teeth, thing. but yeah. No, I is it the hair and sort of second wife? Yeah. And I think also just Lindsay, Lucy there was this Hall, um, newspaper. Lindsay. So he, we see them at he has. I think it's a place some in kind Sussex. of country home, yeah. and on the wall, the the bathroom is wallpapered with all these very negative headlines yeah. about all the scandals. The and yeah. and again, that was like a callback to the, the speech that I had referenced earlier in this podcast about the different strains within the royal family, kind of the the respectable and the, you know, the um, dull scandals. and the dazzling. Yeah. yeah, the dull and the dazzling. Yeah, but yeah, she had like a Megan Draper uh, vibe. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, Charles, what did you think of Josh O'Connor? I liked Charles? him. Yeah. I mean, he was actually much more sensitive. That I, I don't know enough about the real prince, Charles. He seems very stoic. So I, right. You felt sympathy toward Charles in a way that I don't know that most people do. I mean, right. I have to say, when we were introduced to him, it felt so dead poet society with that acting. Did oh, yeah. you not feel that way? Yeah. Well, and at the end, too, that when he's just like, it's like it's, I think it's Richard and II I feel or like, something. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's actually the scene takes place off the coast of Wales, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So it, it all ties in. But um, the queen felt like, oh, what's the Robert Sean Leonard's father? Oh, yeah. Neil. Neil. Yeah, that felt like... He, oh, the, Neil! <laughs> the father in Dead Poet Society. That was like the queen. Uh, Kurtwood Smith or whatever. Yeah, the dad from that 70s show. Yeah, um, but just really like he, stern. Although she was sort of allowing. She was like, he likes to act. And Harold Wilson was like, acting? <laughs> but what also... So I, and another callback, there's a, a scene in Aberfan where... Wilson is trying to get her, the queen, to go to the site of the tragedy. And she says, the crown doesn't put on a show. And then yeah. I thought that that was interesting. The crown doesn't put on a show. And then the heir is somebody who does want to put on a he show. He loves putting on a show. <laughs> he, he's an actor. Yeah. Um, those are his real ears, by the way. Just finding oh. out. I, I read, yeah. He and seems to think, the actor seemed to think that that was helpful in getting the part. No prosthetics needed. Yeah. I, I thought I liked him a lot. Yeah, I look forward. It's interesting because, um, you know, he's young. Like, you see, when we meet him, he's, you know, what, in college? Yeah, he's in college. Well, can you just talk about how late the kids are introduced? Uh, Did you feel like that was too... So, what's... I can't pronounce the episode, but how far into it is it That's episode six. That's a long... I was waiting for Charles this whole time, and I thought it was very odd not to have the kids in the Aberfan episode. Don't you don't you think like I would have expected for her to look to her own children, right? Considering all these children had died, right? Yeah, and it might have been that it was an issue with aging of actors, and it was going to be too confusing because that was what sixty six, sixty six, yeah. And when we see Charles, sixty nine, yeah. So, um, but but it's but he seems you know he seems very boyish though in that you know in that episode the whales episode and then all of a sudden he's going to be this guy who's in love and talking about marriage and sort of seemingly like more mature but you know i'll be curious 
it'll be interesting that that's the same guy when he's older, when he's marrying Diana and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think of him as being this more mature guy. And here it was just like this, this person who's still uncomfortable and not quite set in, in his role and his future. Um, although better than the the Charles from the f- last season, which was the, that poor kid that was so awkward yeah. at the Gordonston or whatever. Um, do you want to talk about Anne? I do. She was next on my list, the scene stealer. I Anne. thought she was awesome. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> like she was, she was one of the best parts of the yeah. season. It's just so much fun. Doesn't give a shit, you know. know. And just can, you know, be so dry. Give everyone a hard time. And, but but now that we're on Anne, and I know that you have some. There's talk later on about things that were missed. I, I thought it was so strange to avoid. I mean, do you want to explain the whole the wedding and the kidnapping? You can explain. Well, like, well, no, yeah. you know more than I do. But I, I well, thought just it was like all, I mean, I think there's a lot of you know. This season is going from 1964 to 1977, so we're missing some major and honestly kind of like interesting and fun moments where Anne, there was a kidnapping attempt on Princess Anne. She gets married in 73. Um, I mean, what we're, we barely see her in that Silver Jubilee. I mean, I think you see her right. on the side, but I was just noticing today, like when I, I was watching the real footage, like she was pregnant in 77. So we've sort of, that's how far and we are in her, her life. That, um, you see her when the queen is giving her anniversary speech. Yeah, you, yeah. there are those shots of her, even at Margaret's birthday, she's at the table. But, you know, she's really shining, obviously, and the, the episode where the royal family documentary where she's just, and she comes up with the plan to, you know, have the grandma, have Princess Alice, like, be interviewed by the reporter. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of, she saves the day. So that's her big moment. And then when she gets involved with Andrew Parker Bowles and the love quadrangle uh, square, whatever. I was but. wondering if the reason they didn't put her wedding in, which was 1973, yeah, is because of cost. Because you'd so have to do much, all that stuff. So I'm just money, saying, yeah. but it would be a huge procession, and then you'd have to do the church, and the Camilla Andrew Parker Bowles wedding is smaller. Yeah. I don't know. It was just a shame, because I think that that yeah. is like a... I think a lot of people have forgotten about certainly about that royal wedding when we talk about famous royal weddings, but that was a big deal at the time. I mean, it was the first of the queen's children to get married, so it was a big deal. And I think also a lot of people now forget about Princess Anne in general, and they don't realize this was actually a really fun person. You watch but all those old interviews. also who she married. I mean, she married a commoner, right? Yeah, yeah. And then and she had her own marital issues too, right. which maybe that'll be addressed later, but maybe not, because I think probably people think that the Camilla and Diana stuff is a little juicier. But... Um, yeah, but I think she was. She just was sort of like a breath of fresh air in this season. Did you hear and about the actress? I think she was talking about how long her hair took every. Day. It was something like two hours. That is the quite a hair. It was quite a hairdo. Yeah, I think it was like three cans. And I think like Princess Anne has really been wearing her hair the same way mm-hmm. for like for forever. And she's well, so is the Queen. That's true. Yeah, I know. But but to me, like Anne is like a, it's like a weirder hairstyle yeah, it's, to keep it's, going. Well, it's from it's a very sort of era. dated. Yeah. yeah, the Queen is just sort of like I know it's not like a. But bob, it doesn't but... even feel like her hairstyle feels like. 19th century yeah but but Anne I think it's just I mean Anne's hair feels yeah 19th with that kind of like poof yeah yeah um yeah but she was just fun and I like her giving Charles she gives everyone a hard time and it, it also like that scene you know the like, sort of and she inc- can get away with it because she's not she, yeah you know the like, next in line I was listening to another podcast where to talk about the difference between like like a Margaret and Elizabeth 
and an Anne and a Charles and how Margaret is almost like within spitting distance of the crown when she's growing up that it's kind of one of those like she almost had it and it wasn't even you can't even say that it's like Elizabeth well no I mean just being like right after Elizabeth and okay. you know and this is like sort of an accident it's like of destiny it's, you can't be like oh well she was supposed to it's like I almost I almost had it and with Anne you were never in it you know what I mean like you know Charles was the heir then they're the brothers like you just know that your role is so inconsequential that like you were never invested it was never like well I almost could have been well, you speaking know. of the brothers I know she's being really sassy with her family when she's asked yeah. to come before them and speak about yeah. the relationship between her brother and Camilla but there's that thing we want to talk to you about her brother and she's like which one I have three yeah <laughs> And, like, you see, but she's kind of more just, like, in the mix, too. Like, you see her in the moon landing episode. She's always around, like, right. in the way that Charles was just off at right. school, I guess, at that point. But, um, yeah, so she was great. And then, finally, of the main characters, Harold Wilson, um, we talked about briefly. But, yeah, just really enjoyed him. Loved his accent. I think that's a great yeah. Yorkshire accent. I, I thought it was my fair lady. Hear a Yorkshireman, or worse. Hear a Cornishman converse. They'd rather hear a choir singing flat. Sometimes I have trouble identifying the specifics. Like, I couldn't tell you what a Cornish accent is, but I was like, I like that accent. And then I was like, oh, that's a Yorkshire accent. It's just very sort of, like, plummy. I don't know. Um, but they they had a really great dynamic, I think, in real life and on this show. And I knew nothing about him. And then I was reading some article. Apparently, he, like, supposedly carried a picture of the queen in his wallet. Like, that's how, like, close they were. I was looking up his uh, secretary or private secretary. Uh, Marsha. Yeah, like, she wow, was... she has a lot to say. Yeah. And... <laughs> get some balls <laughs> um but i think you know peter morgan who's the creator of the series is clearly fascinated by the dynamic right. between the queen and her prime ministers that that was why in the queen the movie you know that was all about the queen and tony blair and i like that um and Aberfan, didn't the Aberfan episodes the Aberfan, there's this coal mining disaster where coal waste basically drops down this this hill and kills 116 children it's i like think a in 28 tsunami yeah and um and it could have been prevented and it kills 116 children and 28 adults and it takes the queen 8 days 8 or 9 days to go to this to the site and to you know help the grieving community and it reminded me of um the queen the, queen, the, movie, the movie with at that point tony blair trying to convince the queen to show some empathy and emotion with regard to yeah. princess diana which, stuff which is crazy because you know both those things are obviously real events so and it almost it is history repeating and to see the queen making that same mistake mm -hmm. later is in, well know. she also it says in the the coda to the aberfan episode it says that it was the biggest regret of her reign and so i i thought well okay you acknowledge this was a mistake. Yeah. So wouldn't, when the next time it comes I think around. it was maybe because it was a slightly different kind of tragedy or like more like within the family that she just once again didn't get it. But I thought that was strange. Yeah. Um, What's the name of, there's a play that Helen Mirren was also the, audi the audience. The audience. And that's yeah. all about these. Yeah. Right. But, and actually I thought it was, um, you know, Netflix has a podcast that they're rolling out about the crown and, uh, Peter Morgan was on it and was sort of talking about, you know, the queen and her prime ministers and how there's always this, not always, but oftentimes there's this paradigm with Churchill was like a grandfather to her. Macmillan is the father. So Harold Wilson was the first one that was like, they were, they were peers in a way, right. sort of the same age. And then later on you get, um, you know, Thatcher, he says it's like the twin. They're, they're six months and apart. And that'll be a fascinating, yeah. you know, that'll be season four with Gillian Anderson yeah. playing. Um, and Tony Blair being like a son. So it's just sort of, he. I like that Peter Morgan clearly is always interested in that dynamic. I also noted, you know, Peter Morgan's initials, PM. Yes. Well, I was just interested in the play because I wonder how much overlap 
I'm sure a lot because I think they go through all. Isn't that like all the primaries? Right, but whether some of these. Yeah, I like how the. um, uh, Well, first of all, we never saw the guy that was in between um, McMillan and Wilson because it was just so Mm -hmm. Alec Holmes something. Um, and also, Peter Morgan has said, like, one of his kind of rules of the show, I mean, that he broke it slightly with John Lithgow coming back as Churchill. But basically, once once a prime minister is out of office, we never see him again. Like, it's not like, oh, that guy. Oh, hey, look, there's I think Churchill, now. because that Churchill funeral was a huge... Well, huge but I'm saying, but not having... You're not going to, like, recast or, like, have yeah. someone else. It's just, like, let's just do it and, like, break the rule and, like, just see John Lithgow as Churchill one more time. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like, we're not going to be like, oh, look, there's Anthony Eden walking around. So, um, you know, I think... but But... I was glad that, you know, also not knowing this part of British history that Harold Wilson gets reelected. So we get to see him one last time and for them to have that special moment. Um, that's it for the main character. So I wanted to do a little thing here that I've, I'm calling Who Wore It Best, comparing seasons one and two versus season three and who we preferred, and some of this with some of the, the minor characters. So I think we've we've made it clear about the Queen, Philip, Margaret, and Tony. Um, Queen Mum, I probably this this one was sort of boring i mean they didn't give her as much stuff to do so i was although towards. she could be pretty mean too yeah <laughs> she's, no, she she was she's she arranging her, marriages no and, didn't she call margaret a whore yeah because there so. there was this huge scandal in the, in the final episode where margaret's uh seen with a boy toy and the pictures end up in all the yeah. tabloids and you know she's kind of take yeah. charge and i think a, queen elizabeth she's kind of shouting at queen elizabeth and that's one of those few times where i feel, feel like queen elizabeth felt like yeah, the young uh, child. I'll let mom handle it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's also um, it's funny that you know Helena Bonham Carter plays that same person in uh, the King's Speech. You know, she's right. Elizabeth Bowes Lyon yeah. or the Queen. You well, know, there's Queen. only so many roles. Yeah. I know. It's this is like it's right, and there's only so many like British people right. also. Um, but I probably preferred. I think because I like that that uh, episode, that Scotland episode from season two, right. where the Queen Mother that. like buys a castle. Yeah. Um, Charles, I mean, there's not much. Obviously, this one is much better because <laughs> the other, the other was a little boy. Let's not even go there yeah. with the aging. Um, Can we talk about Martin Charteris? Is it Charteris? Yes. I was quite. Dis- I missed the. Yeah, that the other one had a lot of sort of fun character to him, but I like. And same way, like Michael, Michael Adine. Well, the well, and, okay, and by well, the. Okay, well, sorry. I wanted to say with the Martin Charteris thing, which is sort of funny, though. I'm assuming you saw this trivia, how it's like the guy that is playing him in this season was on Downton Abbey, basically, and the guy that was... They're, they're both, they, the original Martin Charteris and this one both played Edith Love Interest yes, on Downton Abbey, yeah. so I thought that that was funny. Yeah, um, this one, though, was the one who went to Germany and never yeah, came and back. Yeah, and he had some Nazi issues, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, exactly. And then, yeah, Michael Dean, that was one of the ones where I was like, oh, this seems like a totally different person. Well... I thought was so. So we just talked about how the main characters were introduced, and they let you settle for a second, so you adjust. There was no adjustment yeah. with her private secretaries at all. Yeah. You just had to figure it out. Well, so I actually watched the entire season with closed captions <laughs> because I just sometimes I find it oh. helpful. And, and they had the names. which was a little bit of a cheat because like they would put like charterist or like a dean, and you know. So I was like, okay, and I'm like, which one is you know, but. Michael Adine seemed like a totally different person. Martin Charters, you could sort of say, okay, maybe that's a sort of similar guy, maybe. But Michael Adine, it was like, this guy was actually like a little like, I feel like he had to like do a little banter sometimes. The other guy was very meek and timid, timid, the other Michael Adine. Like there was a moment in the season when, you know, when she decides she wants a new like Dean of of Windsor, Mm -hmm. of the church. And he's like, Vim, Vigor. Like she's like, yes, Michael. Okay, but like, you know, he was sort of a little more jokey. And I think also, like, the relationship, maybe she's just, like, settled with him as her private secretary, but it was less, um, 
I don't know. She seemed fine. She seemed comfortable with him and seemed to like, you know, it wasn't the sort of like, oh, I'm stuck with this guy, which is what the earlier seasons felt like to me with Michael Dean. I don't know. No. <laughs> too well, many, I think he too... had Tommy Lassell's looming. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Do you think Tommy Lassell's is alive? Uh, I did not look up. The, I, I, I mean, or was alive. At I the was time. just glad that he was not recast. Like that guy. Can I look it up? Yeah. Go I'm for very it. curious. Hold on. Let's see. He died in 81. Okay. So they could. But I'm glad like. I didn't want to see him recast because that guy was just so perfect. Um, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, what did you think of the recast? Well, I think Derek Jacobi is just a completely different actor. Um, and we come to Derek Jacobi because our parents had us watching this I, Claudius miniseries from the 70s when we were, however, old. And so I identify him with that. He seems less off-putting to me than... Um, the earlier he seems a little you know he's less smarmy than the other guy which like i mean which had its benefits as well that like i think that that's how the character was played like i enjoyed you know that was entertaining i mean here the guy is like just dying and there's a sadness to it and i want to talk about this i actually called you last night to talk about it but i thought it was interesting when we're introduced to derek jacoby as duke of windsor it actually is the same exact shot that we see in the very first scene of the first episode of the first season of King George the Sixth coughing up blood. And I, I was like, that has to be deliberate because I think it's, they see these siblings as, you know, two versions, you yeah, know, mirror, mirror yeah. images. Yeah, exactly. It's very Don Draper, Dick Whitman. Yeah. I was getting that vibe. Um, what did you think about Geraldine Chaplin as Wallace? She was fine. I mean, I didn't, it, it, I kind of thought she brought a little more than the other one did. I couldn't well, tell again, you. More, like, emb- more I, I felt for her. Yeah, more I think than it was I just felt sort of, for the, the right. Last I guess one. maybe the other one didn't have enough to do, but this one I felt like there was like a lot going on. Older and seem more frail. Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, for for listeners who don't understand the Geraldine Chaplin connection, she's Charlie Chaplin's daughter. And then finally, um, Porchy, I thought was good. That guy looked sort of the same. It was the same yeah. sort of dopey looking face that I was like, harmless. Uh, you know, not much for him to do, but it was just like the sort of good. Uh, supporting friend you know supportive friend that that was uh you know i like that he made the cut porchy uh all right scene stealers we mentioned princess alice like i think she was uh she was definitely uh one of the mvps and um and then also yeah that marcia that woman who works with harold wilson who just had that like incredible speech in the aberfan episode losing your children is difficult Losing brothers and sisters is difficult. Living in a mining village where the coal board abandons you is difficult. And instead of sticking the knife in her and allowing us all to vent our anger at someone cold-hearted, you'd sooner let your own team take the blame. You're pathetic. You disgust me. So you keep telling me. If you ever want to be a real leader, a real man, a real socialist, you're going to have to grow some balls. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's really most of the women, though, were the ones that kind right. of were stealing the show. But was there anyone else that you saw as kind of a scene That was stealer? on my list. I mean, I had, I can't call him, because I think he's pretty much a main character in the series. But again, Harold Wilson. Yeah. All right, let's, I wanted to do a little bit of our favorite, hey, it's that guy, because I think there's a lot of people that just kind of pop up throughout this uh, this season that look familiar to people for various reasons. Um, you want to go through your list? Yeah. So I have, I mentioned him as Duke of Windsor, Derek Jacobi. I know him from this masterpiece theater. You do too. I Claudius, where he plays this Roman emperor who strangely enough, is like the very opposite 
of the Duke of Windsor because he has a limp and a stutter and a nervous tick and is not considered glamorous by any means. And so it shows the range of Derek Jacobi. It's funny because also in I, Claudius, you know, they age Derek Jacobi in that series. So when we watch that, I mean, this is made in the 70s and I would have said that he was an old man then. I think he was, what, in his 30s maybe? And now he's 80. But I mean, I... I've known him as an old man for so long that but it's sort of strange. people probably know him. I think, was he in Gladiator? I think. I mean, he yeah. was in movies that people listening are going to know a lot more than, Yeah, you he's know. definitely, but he should be familiar looking. Yeah, but, um, exactly. I think he was also in the King's Speech as well. I mean, yeah. yeah he has he kind of smaller parts. Yeah. I mean, I think he was a bigger deal in the 60s and yeah. 70s. Um, do you want to go next and what can alternate? Yeah, I picked... Um, Clancy Brown, who plays LBJ, who I think people are going to recognize from Shawshank Redemption. He's one of the like uh, the prison guards. I think Dad also informed me that he's billions, in Billions. Yeah. Um, but I like. I think it was the New York Times who said Clancy Brown, whose impression of LBJ does not spare the hot sauce. <laughs> it's just this like was a lot going on there. Um, I had uh, Geraldine Chaplin, who I mentioned, and I like sweeping epics. And she was in the 1965 film Doctor Zhivago. She played. Uh, Tanya and she was I don't know probably like 21 or something in that she does a lot of Spanish films actually yeah I think she saw that she I guess because she sort of lived this international life because that's where she grew up um I don't have his actual name, but the guy that plays Andrew Parker Bowles, who I think people, um, once again, I, like, I watch a lot of British television, but he, to me, is, is most familiar from Broadchurch, where he's the father of the kid who is murdered. Um, and of course, like Olivia Coleman is in that. Um, and uh, which is also then funny to me that he's playing her contemporary in Broadchurch. He seems really old for the role of Andrew Parker Bowles. Yeah, I, the ages were sort of throwing me because I was looking up like Andrew Parker Bowles and Charles were the same age, are the same same age in real life and the guy this actor was born in 1979 josh o'connor i think was born in 1990 so like it's a big jump there um another sort of more random miniseries but there's a this miniseries called the honorable woman that maggie gyllenhaal was in was tobias menzies also he was in that as well so there's sort of um they both uh they both were in that but but definitely broad church is where i know that guy from all right i'm gonna just do two because i'm like repeating myself here so the new martin charteris who's one of the private secretaries was michael gregson in downton abbey he had a love affair with edith and got her pregnant but I'm just going to tag this on because I mentioned it already. Harold Wilson was in this funny show that I like. I think it's a BBC um, show. It's called W1A, and it's with Hugh Bonville. Again, you're seeing all of this crossover, and Olivia Coleman also has a little guest spot. But it's like um, kind of satire, satire um, about the BBC, and he plays – it's the exact opposite of, of Harold Wilson, and he's this incompetent executive who just says, brilliant, brilliant all the time. Uh, so some of my other people, I have um, Emerald Fennell, who plays Camilla Shand. Um, and people, I think, if you watch Call the Midwife, which is a show on uh, PBS, and I guess it's on Netflix now, too, about some uh, midwives in the 1950s. But she was sort of, uh, she was one of the main characters. She has very distinctive red hair on that show. And she also is the, she was the showrunner for season two of Killing Eve. Right. So she's also a writer. I think she's good friends with um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Um, I have um, Cecil King. I assume it's Cecil and not Cecil. I don't know. He, that was the name of the character. He was like the Daily Mirror oh, executive. Yeah, the guy that like rewrites the headline yeah, or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what his yeah. name is in real life. But he was that kind of boorish guy in the inn for Weddings and a Funeral who's hitting on um, Andy McDowell's character. Vaguely, and, okay. Yeah, and um, Hugh Grant has to like kind of 
make an excuse and get her out of there. And he was also, I think, in the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. I think he was the husband of one of um, the sisters. Apparently, the Michael Adine guy played um, played Mr. Darcy in some like 1979 or 80 version, like a TV version of Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I was like, he does not strike me as Wait, a Darcy. Wait, what's Darcy's friend's name? Bingley. Bingley. So one of Bingley's sisters' husbands is the. the oh, dude. oh, yeah. I can. Okay, I can remember that. Wait, in the in the Colin Firth. No, wait, which Pride and Prejudice? Okay, nineteen ninety five Pride and Prejudice. Okay, the, the guy Firth. who plays this. Yeah, yeah, I can picture. Editor. He's the he's the he's the brother in law of yeah, yeah, yeah of Bingley. Okay. Um, next, I had so um, Charles Dance as the actor's name. He plays Lord Mountbatten. I think I'm I'm not a big Game of Thrones person, but I, I understand am. that he is. He's a big deal. He is Tywin Lannister, and he's, he's the same character. He's like, just this evil. I think he's very. He's got kind of like beady eyes. But like Machiavellian. He, yeah. I mean, it actually. We talked about how Derek Jacoby is playing the opposite of the role that we first know. Yeah. Charles Dance. This is the same character. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, the evil Lannister father of... Tywin. Yeah, Cersei and Tyrion and Jamie. I know they know these people. Yeah. Um, and then also he was in... Um, before he turned all evil, I think he was in Gosford Park. He's one of kind of the main, like, upper crust uh, people. In, like, I think he was, party. like, a brother-in-law of the... Um... Michael was it Michael Gambon yeah. who was the lead oh, who yeah. was in LBJ in some miniseries so there you go um and then my final one which is, this is the show that literally no one has seen but I was really happy to see this guy um the guy that played the Welsh teacher yeah um so there's this Welsh show that I've because of Acorn TV and BritBox and various things I've been watching a lot of random stuff this year but there's a show called Keeping Faith it's a Welsh show sort of one of these like mystery small town whatever mm-hmm. and um like this woman's husband disappears whatever and then so this and it's with mostly Welsh actors and actually they record it there's like an English version and they also do it in Welsh oh. like everything they record twice which seems unnecessary for the amount of people that are watching in Welsh but good for them um but this guy is sort of the love interest this woman's husband disappears and this guy is trying to help her and he's sort of a little bit of like a gangster guy but he's lovable so I only know could tell what his name is but it, to me he's Steve Baldini so like that's what yeah. but I was happy to see him this I was like so oh. inside baseball yeah. are we gonna cut this whole entire section no, I like this. Um, all right, did you have anything else? You had some Olivia Coleman stuff you wanted oh, to discuss? I mean, this is, again, I, all I have to say is everybody's connected to Olivia Coleman in some way, and you could probably make the case for every actor, but there seems to be, and let me just pull it up, a lot of, there's a PBS version recently of Les Mis, which I didn't really watch. Not did a musical, you? I think. I did not watch no, it No, it was, yeah. Um, but a lot of these people were in that, <laughs> which is strange. So Derek Jacoby was in this lame is with Olivia Coleman, as with Josh O'Connor, who played Charles. He played Marius. Huh. Aaron Doherty, some character named Fabian in the lame is. So the guy who plays Michael, the private secretary, was an Iron Lady. Okay. With um with her, with Olivia Coleman. She was an Iron Lady? Uh, yeah, she had some small okay, role apparently. Okay. Um Andrew Buchanan, who played oh, Andrew Parker Andrew Bowles. Bowles. Yeah, yeah he was in Broadchurch. Broad and Tobias Menzies was in The Night Manager okay. with her. And then, I think I mentioned this before, Jason Watkins, who plays Harold Wilson, was in this um, yeah. British show, W1A. So and I'm sure back. there's a thousand more, but yeah. my IMDb skills only take me so far. Yeah, well, I think because she's movies and TV, and that probably, and British, so that covers like <laughs> a range right. of a certain amount of people. Um, all right. Was there a favorite thing you learned when Googling after an episode? Um, that Prince Philip did not attend the funeral 
in Aberfan. In Aberfan, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of sort of poetic license of things. Like, even Prince Philip rode in the carriage with her at the Silver Jubilee, but that didn't make the cut because it's more dramatic to see her by herself. And, you know, there's like little things like that that they will... Um, I think I knew about Margaret visiting with LBJ. I didn't understand the stakes. I, I didn't know the circumstances or it was this last minute thing. Um, so... That was different. I'm trying to think. I don't think I knew that Charles visited with um, the Duke of Windsor. Yeah. I didn't know about the spy in Buckingham Palace. Yeah, and, certainly. And that kind of came out, it sounds like, later. Like Margaret Thatcher made that public later. Um, and yeah, just Aberfan, which is this huge, huge story. moment. And, you know, and I think most, certainly most Americans, I'd be curious to see if, if sort of British people our age are aware of it in well, the it same way. Well, it sounds like I, I thought that, I don't know if... I may be misspeaking, but I thought Olivia Coleman in an early interview said she wasn't familiar yeah. with it. And I've gone back and looked at some of the original reporting. Yeah, on and it's it. actually kind of cool because you can see the stuff on YouTube, those, those kind of like yeah. Pathé. Yeah, uh, British yeah. Pathé. And there's also like BBC retrospectives because the 50th anniversary, I guess, was in 2016. Yeah. And people actually seem to really defend the Queen. Right. That it wasn't, she, they're, she's not being as vilified as she was in this episode, that they're yeah. like, we don't remember her being late to come. She mm-hmm. came when she, she came. came right. Know. And there's a whole thing in this episode that she was supposedly faking a tear. And they said her emotions seemed very genuine to them. And can we just talk about the crying for a sec? Because she she gives this whole speech to Harold Wilson about being unemotional. And then she cries I went, throughout the season. Yeah. I, she gets I emotional also, with Margaret. Yeah. But I went back to when her father died. And yeah. she goes to see his body in yeah. the bed and she breaks down crying. I mean, maybe it's such... And she didn't use him as an example, actually, to Harold Wilson. She goes through all these other relatives that, yeah. that died but didn't talk about her father. She's emotional with Churchill Yeah. when she visits him. She's emotional with Margaret. Yeah. So uh, something else she was emotional. I forget later that it was just like mm, this didn't totally like gel. That you know that she when she was like as if she was always this wooden, cold, unfeeling person. So right. Um, I think also with Aberfan, which is interesting because I think in the production side of it, like I think this was obviously a very sensitive subject. They they weren't filming in the town itself, but I think they were filming nearby. And it's and it said in some articles that you know some relatives and neighbors took up an invitation from producers to appear as extras right. in some of the scenes. Um, you know, I think like, I think maybe there's something with like a choir or something that was used for some right. of the music. So, you know, I think this was obviously like a very big deal and a terrible tragedy that is, you know, is just really powerful. We just hear, we have no idea what that was. Right. So it's also one of those things where, I mean, I read a little bit going into it, but I think if you have absolutely no idea, I mean, you can feel the dread they that build something up is the about stakes to, in you know. the episode, and, and that's how they do it. They introduce you to these children who are complete innocents. Singing and, the song. Yeah, so yeah. it's not just that the episode, I thought before knowing how this was going to play out, I thought the episode would start with a disaster. And instead, they take you the day before. Right. And it's also like pouring rain. And, but you're yeah. seeing joy on yeah. the part of these children. And the parents, and parents with them. Yeah. And yeah. And, and so that's what makes it even more emotional because you're you're invested. And even that, um, you know, the closing, most of the time I think when the credits are going on, it's, yeah. it's black. It was and very this was, West Side Story. Did you notice that? With the, it was like a basketball court. It yeah, but like it was basketball. like kids with like, what, like hula hoops or something yeah. where it just felt of bringing back sort of childhood yeah. moments. And mm-hmm. that was, you know. Well, I'm also always interested in 
when they do codas or yeah i always yeah. i always want a coda to be honest i'm like give me more information yeah, and but they sometimes they just let it what go happened, but, but that I'd was say, an yeah. example of when right they yeah explained kind of how this had an impact on the yeah. country and the royal family and i think the um well i'll lead this into the cinematography part because i think that there was just the way that these shots are done throughout this this season there was like a lot of really cool like whether it was framing in terms of a vast thing or just like a cool angle but certainly in the Aberfan episode I think like I mean the fact that when you see that sort of tsunami like of you know thing of coal waste just coming down and the fact that they shot that and also there's like a scene I think it's Philip and not Tony but you just sort of see them almost like looking at this like in front of them this vista of tragedy um, and also, obviously, the shot with all the coffins, which when you that see the real footage, the real, yeah, I didn't yeah. know. I thought that was so. Basically, they um, the children are buried in coffins, um, and it's in the shape of this massive crucifix cross. And I thought that was for the effect of the show. Yeah. I, I didn't realize. And then when you look at the the, the actual footage from the time, that's, yeah, exactly, that's exactly how they yeah. were. Yeah. So you know that was strong. And then just some other stuff throughout the season that I liked in terms of how how things were shot that in that the coup episode with Mountbatten I thought there were just some really cool when he's leaving whatever he's been fired as his what's his job as the like military he, yeah he was some head of the military essentially you know they're singing old Lang Syne yeah. with multiple verses which I was like interesting would anyone know that but like they're kind of looking at him through the stairs it's mm-hmm. this cool circular shot and then there's a shot of him in the bathtub but it's sort of a weird head-on angle mm-hmm. that it just it was just cool to well, me and then um and then also just like a lot of the mirrors, I think you there's, see. There's but that Charles, was very Draper. Yeah, Draper but there's like when me. Charles is talking to Anne, you're seeing Anne through the mirror. Elizabeth and the Duke of Windsor. There's a mirror shot. I think with Margaret and Elizabeth as well. Well, I think also think front and back, in terms of, and it's almost um, both sides of the coin, you know. Yeah. And it and this speaks to the first episode where you have this man who ends up being a KGB spy, but who's like head of art or something the queen's pictures the queens and he's kind of explaining you know what lurks beneath the surface and um and it's again this appearance versus reality but it's kind of i i feel like the formality is always from behind and the truth is are these close-ups and you see margaret this is at the end of margaretology and she's taking off her eyelashes you know and it's the artifice is being removed and you see the queen actually crying at the very end of the aberfan you know and and they're typically a moments where these characters are alone but um i noticed that a lot i talked about all these characters being introduced from behind or wide shots i also do you notice and this actually takes place from the very beginning um the use of windows did it, i don't know if you I mean, know the queen is like yeah, looking through always. the window in that but the first very episode, yeah. first shot in the very you know yeah, the very behind, yeah yeah when she's a, this young princess she's looking out the window but at the very end of the first episode of the third season, she's looking out the window at that, is his name Anthony Blunt? Yeah. The spy. And then, because we're binging, the very first shot of the second episode of the third season is young Margaret. Oh, looking right. out but, which window. and they, they actually and they match that shot later at the end of that episode when it's older Margaret because it's like the same spot I believe it's like at Windsor Castle or something where you're seeing yeah. her at that same window but she looks at the window the queen a lot she's looking out at Philip and Princess Alice in yeah. the Bubikins episode yeah. she's looking out the window when um she's confronting Mountbatten about the uh, coup she's looking out the window when Charles is told by uh, Mountbatten that Camilla's going to marry Andrew mm-hmm. Parker Bowles. So I just, it's that always kind of looking out, outward facing, as opposed to us seeing yeah. into her. 
Um, did you have anything else, mom, like cinematography or like a shot that you I liked? mean, I told you about the matching shots. I mean, I think they're yeah. very deliberate and they go back. I talked about the Duke of Windsor coughing and it matches his brother, King George VI, coughing. Yeah. So I like the shot also when Anne is being interrogated of just kind of like the, the, another shot from behind, but like you're seeing sort of flank. You yeah, know, you, and like... speaking of that and matching shots, something very similar. So Charles feels like his family's always ganging up on him. And there's a shot of the entire family. Oh, when he's leaving the funeral? Well, the first time you see it is when he's being told he has to go to school in Wales. Mm -hmm. And then the second time is at the Duke of Windsor's funeral. And so so that's very much his experience that it's him against his entire family. Well, he sort of says, like, I'd become my uncle. I guess not his uncle. Was it his uncle? No. His great uncle. Yeah. there are a couple references more than a couple there are several references throughout this season to like things from the first two seasons that I liked which is I you know I always like when you're being rewarded for being um an avid watcher like in I don't remember it's the first episode or second episode like Tony I think when Tony comes into like Kensington Palace you see the the mirror with Beryl that was Mm -hmm. like where that had been scribbled the first time and what did Beryl that was she basically told her when when she first visited his photography studio he had this mirror where where everybody signs everybody signs it and usually with a nickname with a nickname and hers was Beryl Yeah. yeah um there's something in the first episode where I think when they're discussing whether Harold Wilson is a spy and Philip is telling the story and the queen says like, where'd you hear that? He's must've heard at the lunch club. And she has this eye roll. That's just like a great, it's like, Oh, the fucking lunch club again. Cause yeah. the lunch club was such a part of the first, uh, the first two seasons yeah. of that. Video. What about, um, this is in the Margaretology episode, the callback to the drunken Philip's drunken night with Tommy Lassels. Oh, yeah, Cause yeah. I know when we last did this podcast, that was one of your yeah, favorite yes. moments. Yeah. Um, yes. And also obviously Tommy Lassels himself was a great callback just seeing him again. Um, there's the reference before, I guess when they're getting ready to celebrate the 25th anniversary that, um, Philip says something about like, Oh, this like liege man of life and limb stuff, which is always this, um, yeah, I know. I think that that is part of the speech that he gives at the coronation. Charles says says that when he does the investiture. But um, but in the final episode of season two, when Philip and Elizabeth are having that, like they're having it out and just like getting everything on the table, and he says like, you know, here I am, liege man of life and limb, oh, and you know, I totally missed that. Yeah. I was actually thinking about the callback to his speech. So in season two, it's their tenth anniversary, and he gives a speech. And it's really about marriage and the two of them. And then she's writing a speech for their 25th anniversary. And it's all about family. family. And it's totally ironic. And it's covered with images that fight everything she's saying. Yeah. So I thought that... I also thought that um, there are these tabloid photos in the last episode of Margaret seen with her young lover, Roddy. And everyone in the family is reading the newspaper and it reminded me of the Margaret, the Margaret, Margaret, um, the birthday photo, birthday photo by, um, Tony in which she appeared naked and same kind of reaction. Um, and then just like a little thing with, um, several of the, the actors that play the younger versions of them, like they kept those same young actors for Elizabeth and Margaret and Philip. And that was just kind of nice. Obviously you got to be careful the longer that you wait between seasons, those kids get older. So you kind of like need to adjust when your flashback is, but it was, it was kind of nice that that stayed the same. And obviously and seeing, you know, Churchill, let's go as Churchill again. And I'll just say callback within the same episode you have, um, Margaret is deplaning after this successful visit to the White House, and there's applause, and she's, you know, very well received. And then the last shot of her um, deplaning, she, it's, she, oh. it's a, it, it's a mis- yeah. scandal, yeah. you know, and there's no applause. It's, it's just 
um, a, a terrible situation. So you kind of can contrast those two scenes. Um, I think we covered the historical events that we missed, mainly the Anne stuff. But um, in terms of what we want to see next season, so next season, presumably, we're going to mostly be living in the 80s. So it's going to be a lot of Charles and Diana. Mm-hmm. And but I assume and Mount Batten. Mountbatten dying. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, that's 1979. And I guess probably seeing some of the grandkids be born and... What are some of the other, and I guess it's going to be a lot of Margaret Thatcher in that relationship. Fergie and um, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Oh, and actually, you know what I wanted to talk about a little bit? We didn't really get into the royal documentary, the royal family documentary, which I thought was, I thought that was a 69 doc, and I felt like the episode itself was like 67. I think that they were fudging with the time there, because I think Philip was on Meet the Press in 69 as well, and and the documentary was on. And that whole episode, if you look at what's happening right now with the royal family and Prince Andrew. Same thing over and over again. Same thing. I mean, Philip you know, totally out of touch on Meet the Press, you know, talking about how tough his life is as a royal. And that's all real, too, which is yeah. nice, yeah. And then he decides the royal family is going to do this documentary, and it's all palace-approved, and it's a yeah. disaster, and it's just like this BBC interview that... Uh, yeah, and it, and it is true that, um, you know, the Queen tried to, like, ban that documentary, but you can find little snippets on YouTube, which are fun to watch. It's like, yeah. oh, there's the Queen taking Edward to get ice cream, or there they are barbecuing. And there they're putting and, on yeah. a show. So, yeah. again, it fights what the Queen says is the Crown doesn't, you know, put on a show, yeah. and they put on a show then. Um, yeah, I'm trying to... Is there anything else that you're looking forward to seeing next season that... Besides the obvious? Just a lot of weddings. I like the weddings. I, I mean, I don't know enough about 80s. I mean, I hope they introduce a little bit more pop culture, but I guess if the royals aren't exposed to it, it's it's very yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing maybe that, like, maybe they'll also take it to, like, 1992 is always that that bad year, mm-hmm. the, like, Annus Horribilis or whatever that the you Queen think says. It would when, end like, that yeah, when way. it's like everyone's getting divorced, there's like a fire at Windsor Castle. It's just like it couldn't get much couldn't get much worse and the queen basically says that in a speech right uh all right some random trivia um so i had this is really just like minor stuff but so um the actor who plays anthony blunt in that first episode i guess he's already played the anthony blunt in some other series there was some bbc thing about cambridge spies where he played anthony blunt there also, he played the Queen's father, George the Sixth, in that wonderful movie Hyde Park on Hudson. Oh so, so I memorable. That one. Yes, yeah. um, we talked about the Queen, the Queen, the Princess Margaret. You know, the birthday photo. But we saw quickly that that we saw that famous shot of Princess Margaret in the bathtub with her tiara on. They show briefly during the Margaretology, but that was that's sort of an iconic photo that I think was taken at a totally different time. It was taken at Kensington Palace. Um, what think, about the um, swimsuit that Roddy wears? Wasn't there a famous there shot trivia about that? on the beach? I don't know. I just thought oh, it was is weird. he wearing a bathing suit with Union Jacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, By the uh, way, that was one of my favorite lines when they go to um, pick up the bathing suit. No, it was. Um, hold on, let me. <laughs> We've stumped. So. They're going to pick up um, a bathing suit for him, and they're in this little town, and there's just normal people around. And Margaret says, we've stumbled upon an experiment in inbreeding. Mm. And I want to be like, of all the inbreeding, the royal family is the experiment in inbreeding. Um, Some more trivia. Um, The scene, you know, neither of us really liked that Moondust episode with the Apollo 11 astronauts, but I thought it's funny to me that all of those astronauts are played by British people. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, the Americans couldn't even make the cut to play Neil Armstrong and uh, and company. 
um, the there's been some. This is maybe just Daily Mail being Daily Mail, but um, the journalist who like writes the kind of yeah. the criticism, he's being referred to as the hot journalist now, following like, like hot, hot priest. Yes, but I I would argue that he's more attractive than the hot priest anyway. But um. But I like that. Yeah, this is this is from Vogue. Hot journalist seems like the whole package. He's decisive when he needs to be, sending up the royal family for condescendingly attempting to appear normal. But he's also thoughtful enough to hear an elderly nun out. What a mensch! <laughs> but, uh, but don't you think of the astronauts? Just back to them for a second. Um, I mean, they're they're like the mo- it's like the monarchy. They're symbols. And the idea. Well, that's of, the queen says it. Like they're yeah. going to live their life in a goldfish bowl, and right. like they're not going to be allowed to say whatever they want to say. You know. That was just uh, that was just like so depressing because Philip is obviously just like so excited to like ask them all these deep questions. They're like, "What's it like to live in a palace?" Or like, or but, but, but that it reflects Queen Elizabeth and not being emotional. You know, yeah. I mean, they're very scientific about yeah. everything in tunnel vision. They wouldn't be good astronauts yeah. if they were emotional. And the same is true of a monarch. Yeah. Um, the trip that Margaret takes to Arizona, she's going to our. Uh, adopted hometown of Tucson. Yeah, and, mom and dad told me that. I didn't yeah. realize because they don't say Tucson in the... Right, they always are just like, Arizona, the Douglases in Arizona, the yeah. ranch. Um, but there are photos that um, that mom sent yeah. along that the newspaper in Tucson <laughs> like dug up of the trip there, which is sort of funny to see. Did you have any trivia that you... Uh, no, okay. I'm not as... Okay. Yeah, I mean, not that, I mean, that was all random stuff. Uh, you want to talk about the music also in this season did it feel like there was more popular and when i say popular i just mean stuff that's not the classical. Day. yeah but you know what it, near the end there was more stuff of the day but I, I think it's interesting margaret tends to include more popular music but it's still decades behind it, it's it's i think of her youth and so when she's playing well, when bands, she's singing yeah when yeah. she's singing but, but like when I liked when there was the sort of montage to she's not there the zombies yeah yeah but that was also isn't that song from like sixty four or something like I don't know. that it's in the so, range I don't know no um, no I liked that I liked lot. also um, well I liked Starman yeah. when when uh, Princess Anne is driving and singing along to Starman you, I liked do you remember there being songs in the coda for the previous season popular songs I thought there had been yeah oh, I didn't think it was yeah. all just like okay. the score or you know, I think it just depends. Like sometimes they just do the score and sometimes they do. Yeah. And when we wanted to talk about the score. You, yeah. You well, oh, wait, I had one more sort of pop. Okay. So I just I also liked when um, Charles is having the dinner for Camilla and they're playing Beggin. felt like a really good music cue it fit really well with that um and yeah I want to talk about the something that I liked um you know obviously there's the the theme song is the theme song and that Mm -hmm. is exactly the same but there seems to be I don't know what you'd call like the score or the theme there's sort of this recurring sort of melody that you hear throughout the season you hear it at the beginning you hear it when Philip is walking away and that's sort of after they've had that kiss and I just, I don't know, I really liked it because it had this sort of almost like fanfare, like trumpet quality. Well, there's but different versions of it. Yeah, maybe that's okay, what it was so all off the same theme. But. There's a more kind of um, magisterial version, but there's also a much more haunting version of it. And that's when there's tension, which yeah. I noticed. It. I told you, I thought it sounded kind of had a horror, you know, yeah. movie like foreboding. Yeah, I like that to me, The I guess when there were parts when I was hearing it, when it had this hopeful quality to it. And it also had 
but it, I think this is really random and you might not hear what I'm hearing, but it reminded me of this. It reminded me of this. There's a Phoenix song called Love Like a Sunset and there's just something about it. I'll, like, so this is the, the crown part that I like is, is this. So it reminds me of this this Phoenix song, Love Like a Sunset, part two. Basically, just I thought that the, I think I liked the way it sound, I think because there was that hopeful sort of part in in that yeah. little score and also because of the phoenix connection i enjoyed that um i think that's all i have, <laughs> that's I, all I, I have. i'm scared to see how long this went yes but that's okay um but you know i still i can find something to complain you know i can find plenty of things to complain about but i think i'm happy that the show exists it definitely feeds the royal hunger that i have so and i look forward to Three more seasons with, we'll see who, when they announce, I think they were saying that Imelda Staunton was the next queen, but Netflix seemed to say, nope, that's not a real thing yet. So everybody hold your horses. Well, remember when they said that Hugh Laurie was going to be Prince. Yeah. So when we find out, we find out. And they've done such a good job with casting all these things that I have confidence in Peter Morgan and company. Um, So that's it for The Crown. Um, Let's do favorite thing we watched. Have you watched anything besides The Crown this week? No. I mean, I told you I had to like binge a little bit of Bunheads for some what I thought was supposed to be some Amy Sherman Palladino trivia night to support a colleague. And he's probably listening to this. So sorry, David. But I wasn't a huge fan. I know you like Bunheads. I mean, I haven't really watched it since. But was there something that you actually enjoyed watching or no? No, because I've been... you know focused on uh this fun thing um my thing i've mostly been watching the crown as well but i will say that last night i decided to check out the new episodes of mad about you on spectrum and verdict i mean it's not great it's not you know i think it doesn't it doesn't hold up because they're trying to do the same thing and it doesn't doesn't totally work but there was something about seeing these familiar characters and in this the same sort of set that I did, it was comforting. So I was happy about that, even though the show might not be what it used to be, which is something that was like a, you know, I, I really loved the original Mad About You. So it's not that anymore. But just, you know, something about the, the way we live now with all these reboots all the time, like I get a kick out of seeing people reunited and, you know, becoming these characters again. So I was I was fine with that. Um all right. Well, thanks for doing this. Plug for your podcast that you produce, Mobituaries. Yes. Um, with please, Maraca. Yes. Yes. Please subscribe. Yes. If you're a history buff and you like finding out cool things that happened that you never knew about and in a fun way, then this is an excellent podcast to check out. So, Thank you. Yes. I appreciate and it. Until next time. Yes. We'll do until a year and a half from now. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's a star.